Andrew, can you hear me? Now it works. Yeah, it works. Can you hear me? Everything fine? Everything's perfect. Thanks for the patience, Jonathan. Uh, thank you for uh, taking the time, you know. I, I know you have a busy schedule, so... Um, Crazy schedule these days. Tell me, where are you based? Um, <laughs> well, currently I'm uh, actually next to Zurich, so I'm at the Bodensee, um, um, just for a couple of days. Um, and uh, But now, let's say, my, my current, let's say, fixed location is, is uh, near Hanover. Um, I've been in Rotterdam before that, uh, so... Yeah, but now uh, after the summer, I'm most probably going to go either back to Rotterdam or uh, Berlin. I'm still undecided yet. So, And tell me, I mean, uh, th this podcast, is this something that you do as a, as a hobby? Uh, yeah, so basically, so basically the idea was the following. So um, to kind of give you a background, um, in, during my studies, uh, my friend and I, we founded a, a, a foundation basically in Rotterdam, uh, which is called the Erasmus Tech Foundation. And um, just because we didn't see, like in the Benelux area, we didn't see really a, yeah, kind of a platform that brings together like corporate startups and like all these, you know, interesting organizations that do, um, let's say, interesting stuff in technology with, let's say, young professionals. Because young professionals didn't really have a, a, an opportunity to kind of look beyond the curtain, you know, what, what, what are these companies actually doing with, with technologies? And that's why we kind of founded that. And it was pretty successful in the sense well, obviously, right timing, and um, now that that has been existing now for almost four years, and uh, there's a. Uh, What's the name of it? It's called Erasmus Tech Foundation. Okay. You can, it's uh, you, the website is erasmustech.io. Okay. okay. Um, so, and uh, I mean, we were quite lucky because uh, we started out with, um, yeah, basically just uh, random, randomly doing some stuff. Uh, let's say kind of an introduction, giving an introduction to blockchain. And that was basically... That's not you, no? Sorry? Is this you? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and uh, we, yeah, we, we, we were doing this uh, just, let's say, in the beginning, starting out to, to host like smaller events. And then we were quite lucky because organizations showed us that they really wanted to do this, uh, to, work, to work with us. And then it kind of grew and grew and grew. And then we... You mean corporations? Uh, yeah, I mean, co corporations and startups. I mean, both. Like corporations in the sense of, I mean, obviously not like traditional ones. Um, we started out with Google, IBM and stuff. And then, uh, I mean, it became... What a surprise, huh? <laughs> exactly. What Some Europeans among them? Yeah, exactly. Uh, they actually, one of the... Because we, were, uh, we went, my friend and I, that was in the beginning, actually, in the first year, we went to a meetup and then we met a vice president of the company, Danfoss. Um, I don't know if you know them. So they. I know them well. Yeah, and um, and then I mean that is a European, right? And he was he was uh, he was intrigued Finish. by what yeah. we do, and then then we did something with them on IT, and um, yeah, I mean we did we obviously did something with Shell and stuff, but in the beginning, obviously it was the it was the tech companies, right? And then at the oh. later stage, the, the the let's say more original. Yeah, um, European companies came to that as well, and then also startups and stuff. And then now we have been doing, you know, different types of engagements. Um, yeah, so that that is basically kind of the the pre-story to that. And then I always wanted to basically because I had so many interesting conversations with, let's say, um, either managers, executives, what whatever, uh, about about you know technology and about let's say innovation. 
and I, uh, I, I really thought, okay, you know, you need to, you need to record this, you know, because this is really something interesting. And I was listening to podcasts, uh, you know, myself uh, a lot. And then I said, okay, I have to start it. And then I, it took me a while. I, I didn't start it. And now like a year ago, I, I started the, I started this journey on the side and it has been really, really enriching because I had the opportunity to talk to, let's say a lot of, a lot of interesting people in the AI space, uh, because that is, let's say has been a quite a focus of mine itself. And uh, also, who did you invite on this? I uh, should register to your podcast. You can find it on Spotify or can you find it also on Apple or not? You, you can find it on Apple. You can find it on, uh, on, uh, on Spotify. Okay. So to, to give you the example, for example, the, I had uh, Hans Uskoreit, which is probably, I guess, uh, uh, really named to, 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 to drop for AI, who he has been leading the, uh, the German Center for Artificial Intelligence and is in China now, the... Uh, the chief AI advisor for Lenovo, so a really, really interesting guy. Um, he is based in China, so we, I had an opportunity to meet him in Berlin. Then, obviously, uh, several head of AIs from German corporates uh, I had. Um, and, uh, yeah, then also uh, from C-levels from, from some of the German corporates, that was also interesting to kind of um, get an insight on their transform transformative uh, journeys and uh, one was really insightful that was um, I had uh, very early on when I started the podcast I, had, I was lucky uh, enough to to get uh, his name was Jens Monzes he was the chief digital officer for BMW for uh, four years and I caught him when he was leaving BMW so he's now um, the CEO for the biggest media group in, in Australia and uh, I, I got him. I got him when he left BMW, and it was really. really so he was free to speak. Exactly. So, <laughs> but obviously he did. Like you know, you could you could sense that there was like some sort of like you know energy in in whatever direction it is. But he also obviously told me a lot off record. You know, uh, in terms of how cool. how difficult it is and stuff. So there's a lot of insights that I that I got in this. And then basically one of the guys that I that I talked to obviously was Otto as well. That was actually the last episode that I recorded before Corona. Uh, I visited him at this uh, at his place in, in uh, what is it again? Berlin. Um, no. The Cyber Innovation Hub. Uh, no, I, I didn't. I, I didn't visit him at his Cyber Innovation Hub. I, I visited him actually at his at his place or so at his personal home. <laughs> oh, in Potsdam. In Potsdam, right? Yeah, I always forget the city name. Yeah. Potsdam, exactly. And uh, then I asked. Pretty impressive home, huh? Yeah, it is. A, it is a really cool house. I, I like. I like the. The, when you, that you can enter and then you have this uh, this bigger place where you can park your car is really cool. It's a nice house, very nice house. So we had a really interesting conversation. I think I was at his place for three hours or so. And obviously that wasn't all podcast. So we talked like a, an hour before the podcast, then we did the podcast and we talked after that. So we had a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff to talk. He obviously has a really great guy. I had him on the phone before you. So uh, yeah, uh, totally different story. I actually didn't mention him that. I should have mentioned him that we're talking today. Good. <laughs> well, look, uh, congratulations. How many, who is listening to your podcast? How, do you have an idea? Um, to be honest, uh, I think, uh, so. Um, What's the audience that so the just audience. can calibre? And, and what is, I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's also basically for you. Huh? So, so what is the ideal outcome of this conversation for you? Right. The ideal outcome, to be honest, is for, there's, I guess, two. There's one for me personally, obviously, to get to know you to kind of see where, where you're coming from and uh, what drives you. Um, and then the other one is obviously to get an insight into uh, your current work. So uh, the, the whole idea uh, behind uh, Jedi, obviously, and what, let's say, your, your goals are and what you are basically, you know, working towards. 
So um, that is obviously, uh, you know, okay. and then maybe also getting and obviously getting also your personal opinion on, on you know, specific things, you know, on, on, let's say, behavior of companies. And there's a lot of things that I have in my mind. So I'll, I'll just drop them and, and based obviously on your answers, I will also respond to that. Cool. So, um, yeah, who's listening? Uh, listening people. So because one focus was obviously artificial intelligence and I was um, and the statistics and podcasts podcasting are still very poor so uh, i guess spotify is doing uh, is, is going to work on it because they have been heavily investing it but they're still very poor but let's say for example one surprise i sometimes get messages what, what do you mean poor that means uh, the, the not a lot of listeners basically for example apple has really not done anything yet so you have for example you have a um, uh, you have a company where you host your podcast right and then um, that is independent from Spotify or iTunes. And then there you upload everything, right? They, they have the storage, the cloud storage, and then your episodes are being distributed, right? Through SSR links. And um, in Apple, you have a, you can have a, uh, you have a, let's say, uh, uh, an account, a login page as well. And then the statistics have been on beta mode, uh, beta mode for like, I think one and a half years or so. They haven't improved anything. And the statistics are so poor, they literally show you nothing. Like you don't have any, let's say, more insight into your audience on, let's say, uh, you know, where they come from, like what they represent and stuff like that. So it's really, really poor. But uh, like um, I get obviously qualitative data in the sense so that I get feedback from people that maybe text me on LinkedIn. And one was previous was really interesting. I was in Berlin on Tuesday and um, uh, there I visited a guy who texted me on, on LinkedIn and he actually uh, has been listening to my podcast from the second or first episode already. And he's now becoming the head of AI for Volkswagen uh, car uh, software organization. Cool. Yeah, it's really cool. So, and he, um, he basically texted me up, said like, yeah, I really like your podcast, blah, blah. And then I said, oh, where are you staying? And he's like, Berlin. So we met up and we had a nice discussion. So kind of these type of people. So people that are obviously, let's say in, you know, have something to do with these type of topics, right? emerging technologies in a sense cool yeah. so okay. it's not that it's not necessarily only tech focused it's it's more strategic focused is business model focused or exactly exactly so exactly i mean we're not uh, we're not uh, talking about let's say different types of algorithms or so we're really let's say talking on, a, on the strategic level on uh yeah business model innovation exactly so um and uh the yeah the impact for example so um obviously because otherwise you would lose the people, right? I mean, yeah. uh, there's only a handful that would then be able. Do you have an idea of how many people are downloading your podcast? Yeah, so um, let's say with with one episode, we can reach about two thousand people. Okay, that's good. Yeah, that's pretty good. So, yeah, that's 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 fine. Very so, good. Uh, and the motivation, basically, if you ask me for what the, what is the motivation for for the podcast? So the, the motivation that I had when I started the podcast was obviously to, um, to, to, to get to know people, right. To grow my network and to, to look, it's, it's, you, you know what, uh, the, that, that was an old friend of mine who told me that a couple of years ago, the best way to do a market study is to, uh, is to recruit somebody. So you keep meeting a lot of interesting people who have an interest to talk to you. Yeah. So, and, and everybody loves to be in front of a camera. So at a different <laughs> level, so it's a great way. I mean, so congratulations. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, good approach. Thank you very much. And, uh, the, the future, I don't know, like now I'm in the state where I'm, I'm rethinking. Okay. So what is it that I want to do? I want to keep going like this or 
what is it that I want to do with this? So I'm because you did that straight out of the studies, right? Of Erasmus at Erasmus, or uh... no? So I, 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 it took a while. So um, the past two years, I've been uh, working for um, uh, for a traditional uh, German, uh, let's say, a company that is within the automation space, automation technology, um, a lot in electrical engineering and stuff. So and what I've been doing there is I've been building up a, a data lab, so a competence center for data science there, for the past two years and um so now and then basically for the past then a year ago i started the podcast so and now i'm on the verge of of, of uh, thinking on what what, what i'm going to do next so there's a lot and of, you have some ideas i have no ideas literally <laughs> that's the problem if you have too much input if you have too many opportunities kind of looking at you then literally you don't know what, what you're going to take because you're afraid to to let's say choose one and then you know being afraid of that is that is going to be the wrong thing right so that's um i'm really uh thinking about that right now i will, I will during the podcast i'll tell you a story about the chinese on this okay they spent 10 years in china so this is this whole experimentation part but what is true is that the current period is obviously i mean i think we have not uh, yet felt um what's going on on us, especially from an economic crisis point of view. Okay. It's going just to happen. But on the other side, it's the moment of big tectonic shifts. So it's uh, for people who have not a lot of, you know, uh, you know, uh, obligations or so on. It's yeah. a, I think it's a great opportunity. It's a great, uh, great time. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to that. So China, that is a good point. Uh, I obviously uh, would, would ask you on this as well. So then let's, 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 let's just do it right into it i have my i have parked my kids so that's why again apologies for the for the bit bit of thing but uh yeah don't worry during confinement we have no school here in paris and um my kids are two and six so too young to be alone and too old to be uh in the in the in the flat laying flat in the bed so true true true. all right um don't worry about it let's let's uh, let's start ahead um how much time do you have approximately how much do you need? Um, let's let's see. Um, let's let's see how interesting. That, because the, the thing is, okay, yeah. If you cut short, after fifteen minutes, the message will be clear. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like uh, I, I, you have too too many interesting things um, that that you can talk about. But therefore, uh, let's let's see how, how how the conversation will go. Okay. All right. Um, okay, so I'm I'm recording the Zoom uh, the Zoom right now. So, uh, yeah, let me try to switch off all the stuff that could make noise. Okay. Okay. You ready? Uh, hold on. All right. Oh, what is a good one? All right. Um, all right. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Speed Change Repeat podcast. Uh, today with a very, very interesting guest, um, Andre. Uh, hello. Uh, you have the chance. Hi, Jonathan. You obviously have the chance to uh, give yourself an introduction, who you are, where you come from, um, what has basically, yeah, kind of impacted your life and kind of give us a, yeah, a brief introduction in a storytelling way of, of, of who Andre is. Okay, Jonathan. So very happy to be uh, to be with you. Um, so my, just on me first. Uh, my name is André Le Zucrocetri. I'm both French and German. I started my career as a, uh, in an industrial and uh, engineering company called Airbus, that everybody knows. Uh, I, I did uh, both work on you know uh, 
big planes like the A380 or on, on uh, it was already some time ago, on the creation of what is the Airbus group, especially between the French, the German, the Spaniards and the, and the Brits to create this incredible company. So that was my first glimpse into, uh, into uh, the, the opportunity and, and the challenges of building something at scale, at European scale. Uh, then I had, uh, that was uh, the first internet uh, bubble, uh, early 2000s. I created, um, uh, I, I jumped from, from the big corporate to, uh, to, to start my own company. Um, two, uh, two big learnings out of it. Timing is maybe not everything, but a lot. So I started it in uh, late 99, early 2000s. Probably were one of the few ones who, who still raised money mid-2000s. Mid uh, we probably didn't read enough the papers that the Nasdaq had already crashed. And so uh, pretty tough then to, 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 to move forward 2001. And the second thing, it was on uh, selling uh, autos and auto parts on the internet, uh, probably a couple of years too early. So it was still dominated by the big uh, giants who did not want their, uh, their bread and butter, especially uh, parts and uh, used cars to be taken away from uh, from, from new players. And uh, at that time, regulation was not very helping. So that was an, an entrepreneurial experience. Uh, I got to learn the word cash and not just about you know, income statements, and, uh, but it was a fantastic experience. And uh, I was recruited by one of, of the auto guys to, to set up a family office actually for a large uh, automotive supplier family. So to diversify their money. Uh, had very very interesting years doing this. Uh, built uh, built uh, some uh, small, but uh, well, uh, we invested uh, uh, quite a lot of money in uh, five years. Um, I was recruited by another family office to do the same thing, but more on a mission uh, between uh, Asia and Europe. And uh, that was the trigger for me to become an entrepreneur again. So uh, in 2006, with a partner, I created my open fund. And basically, the, the, the angle was to invest in European companies and uh, Asian companies with high growth potential uh, at, the, at the global level. Uh, I was based in Beijing, in China, and I spent between 2006 and 2010, uh, 10, years, 10 years in China. So uh, that made me also what I am today, because uh, that maybe made me a true European uh, it's when you are in China that you realize how important and how also maybe different uh, European values are and how, how dear they are for all of us. We should never forget this. Um, in 2017, uh, we had a change in president uh, here in France. Uh, and a bit to my surprise, I was called by one of the ministers to, to, to join uh, her, her cabinet. So I became the Main one of the main advisors of the French defense minister. Uh, totally new world for me, obviously. I was never in the public uh, sector. Uh, Airbus was probably the closest at that time. Uh, and it was a fascinating journey because I was in charge in particular of the European, uh, uh, European Corporation, European Defense Fund, um, uh, which is now reality. And also about the whole topic about uh, innovation, or the, the, the new buzzword today in Europe about technological sovereignty. At that time, 2017, it's only two and a half years ago, was not that, uh, that much in flavor. 
And uh, last but not least, to, to finish uh, this, this, this short profile, uh, this is at that time that, uh, that I created a small group when I was still at the ministry uh, that, was, that had the vision of creating the European equivalent to DARPA. Uh, we'll probably talk more about that. Uh, basically, a, a tool, an agency that would invest in the next big thing with a strong belief that we can lament ourselves that Europe is late. Uh, it may be true in some areas, of uh, tech areas, talk about AI, talk about quantum, talk about semiconductors, space. Uh, we saw that with the recent launch of Crew Dragon by SpaceX. Or at the contrary, we can, uh, without being naive, we can see that this technological acceleration is, a, is an opportunity to, uh, uh, to reshuffle the cards, provided we just become so much more uh, long-term thinkers, but also very agile. And, uh, and, uh, and super, super demanding and, and kind of inventing the next big thing. Uh, and so Jedi initially was some kind of a, you know, a think brain trust that pushed it with politicians in France and Germany and Europe. I mean, we were actually more successful than we thought because this idea of disruptive innovation uh, became reality. Uh, President Macron took it over in his, in his keynote speech on Europe, the so-called uh, Europe and Sorbonne speech. The Germans, uh, as you know, the German government has even created two agencies now for disruptive innovation, one on the civilian side, one on the cyber slash defense side. The Europeans are also working on it. Uh, but six months ago, and I'll finish uh, here, uh, we realized that all this goes in the right direction, but does not have at all the scale, the ambition, the speed, the boldness that we want. And so JEDI, uh, which is the name of this, this European DARPA, uh, the Joint European Disruptive Innovation Initiative was, was set up to be uh, some kind of a prototype of this. Of, um, and uh, the very uh, break, the breakthrough came uh, one and a half months ago where we launched our first grand challenge on, uh, on COVID-19, but we'll probably talk about it. Right. So there's a, a lot, uh, obviously, um, that that we can talk about, but let's let's kind of have a structure, obviously, in, in a sense of the different different main topics that you talked about. The first thing that I want to touch upon before we jump into all these nice technological uh, and innovation topics is um, your experience working on, on setting up family offices and maybe kind of like having this also touching upon yeah investing or in on the landscape that we see in europe so what you mentioned in the sense is you you were you were hired to set up a family office so and and the the thing is when when i always think about family offices or um about when i hear the word family office or this phrase is that europe has a lot of old wealth so to say so old wealth in the sense that there's a lot of wealthy people there's a lot of wealthy families a lot of families that have uh, created uh, yeah, enormous fortunes uh, over, let's say, decades, um, maybe centuries, yeah. And um, how is it, like, because it's a really also, obviously, a very intransparent, um, intransparent um, how do you say? Yeah. Uh, world. World, obviously, uh, a, a very intransparent world. How is it that we don't really see or that that is my perception obviously we don't really see a lot of this wealth being transitioned or let's say funneled towards investing into 
let's say more bold things the same thing as you just said right if i if i think the, the investment there is probably very let's say traditional in the sense right and not that that you don't really that you don't really see uh, family offices really going heavily into this new world right so from your experience because you obviously have some is what what, what is how, how do you see this world like how how can that is that maybe also a problem right because that there's a lot of there's a lot of money in there right there's a lot of money that 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 is in europe how 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 is there how can that be then trans, transmitted to let's say this new world right through funding new new companies right well i i i will surprise you because i actually saw the two sides uh, the the little anecdote which which is pretty funny is that some of uh, my my friends and and colleagues that created um, uh, internet companies, uh, 1998, 99. So they were one year earlier than me. Um, and that were very successful, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in selling them, uh, just in time, uh, you know, uh, 2000, you also have some cases in Germany, actually, most of them, believe it or not, where did they put their money? They put their money in real estate and they had a double a double win because investing in real estate in 2000, 2001 was probably the best thing to do. Um, uh, so they had a double win, but not by being very bold. So this was always the paradox for me is that people who actually on their own business were super risk friendly, you know, were very traditional. And most of these guys were like in their thirties, right? Right. You have obviously some, some examples, you know, the three brothers that we all know uh, did it very differently with huge risks. Uh, and uh, and uh, and uh, actually know the fourth founder who was the who was a classmate of mine uh, who was also in the Alanda story. Um, so there was so there was this this way. What I discovered with families is actually a much more mixed uh, mixed uh, impression because I always had this this feeling that they are uh, traditional in the way that families love to diversify their uh, their portfolio and obviously when they go out of their comfort zone they will be very traditional so for example when we started this family office and you see that thread everywhere is that you rarely start with investing directly but you often start with investing in other people's funds which is considered as less risky than being direct then you do co-investments and then only you 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 put your toe through the water and begin to do it. Uh, and this is what we did. I mean, 2001, we invested in, in funds and then 2002 co-investment, 2003, 2004, we did direct investments. But the other thing I saw is that some of these families are so well understanding their own business. That means if they have the guts to stay also, they don't only diversify, but they also want to do a family office that will double down in their own industry. And then they are ready to take risks that actually a normal corporation with traditional uh, shareholders would not do. It's just because they understand the sector probably better than anybody else. So their, their appetite for risk is, is, is higher. And for the most visionary of them, they know that they're going to be uh, disrupted. I mean, the term did not exist at that time. And I think this is what we are seeing right now um, uh, coming with the, with the tech giants. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed to see that it's uh, Jeff Bezos that not through Amazon, but through this holding that is investing in space. It's uh, Google has X, which is its moonshot factory. 
Microsoft is also permanently looking for the next big thing. And they have been very good. And look at what uh, Facebook did with WhatsApp. It was, at that time, everybody thought that it was completely crazy. But they had this capacity. And I think this is, it's, it's almost... And this was really driven by the main shareholder, very clearly. It was not a corporate uh, decision. So I think families, some families have actually the capacity and uh, to, to, to really be, be much bolder than the average uh, investor. So yes, you see some people who are going to protect their wealth and they will be very conservative. People who are in transition with new generations. But those who are still in, in have this entrepreneurial mindset you see some who are more bold. And yes, my, my, my hope, I mean, you saw the examples I gave you, I'm mostly American, you see the same now happening with this very beginning of the second generation in, of Chinese entrepreneurs. I would, exp I would hope that the Europeans, I mean, you know this famous sentence, with great power comes great responsibility. I don't see yet the European families, and many European families, um, just realizing that we are in a technology world and that if they don't do something for education or for the next big thing in technology, uh, well, they are not completely playing their, their part of responsibility in the, in the society. So hopefully it will come and probably the crisis that we saw, that we just experienced, will be also a wake-up call because people thought that they are on a, you know, on a, on a fat um, a fat cheese as we say in uh, in in France and you know I mean, look at the, uh, the the aerospace industry you know we thought this is growing going to the sky literally uh, this is totally disrupted you will see the same thing happening on mobility you see the same thing happening on in in everything which is linked to digital so hopefully I mean we have one entrepreneur for example in France who who has created a new school but he's one only. Um, you still you. see so many entrepreneurs who are criticizing the state for not doing enough on education, on yeah. skills. Well, what are you waiting for to, to really invest much more? And it's, it's also, I mean, we see it ourselves with Jedi. Mm -hmm. We are mostly financed by foundations uh, who have this, uh, uh, this, 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 this forward-looking approach, but we need more. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, I, I, I do see uh, good examples. Also, let's say, where there's still a family behind that, right? With, uh, let's say, with a big empire. Uh, maybe, maybe to give an example, um, the, the, the company Bertelsmann, that you uh, probably also know, which is, let's say, one of the, the biggest media companies or the biggest, biggest media company that, that we have in Europe. They also created, I mean, uh, they have their own education foundation as well. They, I think they acquired a, uh, a stake in, in Udacity and they have these, let's say, um, these nano, they, they fund basically nano degrees. So they do, do a really, let's say, good job in that sense. And they have also different types of initiatives where they show that they are really, let's say, future uh, looking looking to the future and um, but there's also obviously a difference in terms of that's exactly what you said on how much let's say from the family side there's still the entrepreneurial will right so there's a lot of companies in Europe where they're still family owned significant companies right big companies that are market dealers in their sense but there's a difference in whether you just see the company as a let's say a cash cow and you're just like yeah okay we're really good in, and they're really good in their in their space right they really they have the expertise i mean they have been decades there but they're not really let's say having this this they had even, even though i hate the word this disruptive way of thinking okay so how how if we like 
think about our company in a completely different way that it's, it's not really related to what we do today. Right. And, and I, I see there's companies where either there's a, you know, a successor basically from the family where very well educated, let's say with this mindset that you need for this, for this, the time that we're living in versus let's say families where it's not right. It's lacking. So um, therefore I mean, I, there was big hopes in the, last five to 10 years with, with uh, the whole concept of impact investing, where you saw second generation, third generation saying, okay, I'm not just here to manage my wealth. I'm here also to have, uh, I want more. I want, uh, I want, I want impact in the world. Um, you saw some, some good examples. I mean, you mentioned uh, Bertelsmann, there may, of course, many others, but uh, my feeling is that it has not gone. Uh, it was, often in you know a side pocket where you allocated five to ten percent of the wealth which is often already a lot of money but uh, it's a bit like before when you had the traditional asset allocation private equity was two percent uh, hedge funds was uh, two and uh, 50 percent was shares and uh, equity and 30 percent were bonds and or 20 percent were bonds and 20 percent was real estate that was the traditional thing i think with what is going on again i think maybe this crisis is a eye-opener you saw how private equity now is not seen anymore as as the big risky thing is now going to five ten percent of a lot of portfolios so it's a good direction the, the only challenge for the europeans especially again is speed i mean uh, you know, we keep hearing everywhere in the media and the government plans about the billions being invested. More money is always is obviously always better than less money. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's an obvious statement. But what we often forget, especially in Europe, that that the the name of the game of the 21st century will increasingly be be speed and being the first to do it and being on time. I, I always give this example, and I'm a I'm a fan of Europe. A financial crisis 2008, Juncker plan 2015. So it took us seven years to do a plan. This time, apparently, it won't take as much time. But as you know, the recovery plan you know, crisis was March. Uh, at best, we will have it in September, October. We still have some progress to do. And I think for the, for obviously, for the investors, for the families, for the entrepreneurs, it's the same, it's the same story. So if you think about your time then, I mean, let's, um, I want to make this transition now to, let's say your next step after, after your experience uh, working in family offices. If you think about your time there, what is, let's say the biggest, I, that, that's always hard to answer if I, ask, ask, uh, if I ask the question this way, but if you think about your time, what is like one major learning or one major thing that you got out of this time that basically has impacted you personally and, and let's say in the in the in the years to come afterwards. I mean, I can I can talk about uh, the, the the time in China. Or you you want to talk about? No, I mean, I, I obviously like we can go to China right uh, okay. right after this. But like the just family to, office part. Just to finish up this 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 uh, family. I office. think the family office is uh, there was there there are often uh, studies. I don't have the latest to 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 name you and how much in in proportion that showed actually that family owned businesses are performing better uh, when you look at those who are controlled by families but who are listed, so you can make a clear comparison, are actually performing much better 
but not just for by a few percentage points, but much better on average than, than traditional companies. And I would relate to that to the fact that there is this in apparent in apparent uh, um, paradox between conservatism that means they often stay in where they are good at and on the other side where they are good they have a risk appetite which is much bigger than others so um they they are ready when there is an opportunity to go all in and obviously that is often the, the way that you make exceptional results and uh, i think this is a characteristic that you have when you don't have i mean i i think that would have been different if we had talked five years ago, but I think everybody agree. There's now a consensus to say that quarterly earnings was not the best way to create value. Um, the problem is it's always the time scale that you take. Mm -hmm. By the way, it's a whole topic that we could have with politics too. I yeah. mean, how do we get in our democracies, but it's a much larger topic, incentive to be good in the long term uh, while you know having to be reelected in the next uh, in the next election, but I close the the parenthesis on that. It's the same story. Families have this luxury, uh, not to have to be you know uh, having a line that is always going you know Great, two percent yeah. increase in dividend and EBITDA in growth etc. And that is the biggest learning: is that the value of long term thinking, which is again. I state the obvious, but who is really thinking long-term today? I'm going to go again into a European political uh, aspect. You know, every six months we have the European Council. Every six months on the agenda items, you have these strategic topics about, and it's always eaten up by the short-term problems that we have. When it was not Brexit, it was Greece. When it was Greece, then it was Brexit. Then now it's the Corona, et cetera, et cetera. We need to build our capacity to think long-term. That's what the families have. And my biggest worry, that's increasingly what authoritarian states have. And this is the common thread to also the big tech platforms because they have so much money coming from the usual business that they're able to, to Gates is able to invest in probably a contentious topic in, in Germany, uh, in a small nuclear. Right. Um, uh, Amazon is able to, 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 to bet on space. Uh, and they were ready, by the way, when Trump announced that he wanted to be back on the moon in 2024. They came up with their, uh, with their, with their Blue Origin uh, capsule. Um, obviously, Google is also uh, thinking about the next thing in health and, and Apple also. I mean, you know, the Apple Watch... Uh, I don't want to make advertising for that, but it's probably the closest that you have to personalized medicine, at least to, to census to that. Uh, where do we see this long-term thinking? This is what we need, especially from a European perspective. And so, also as an entrepreneur, obviously. But then, uh, obviously, we, uh, we want to go to the next thing, but then still, right, you would argue that then the, the, most two, the, the two most important things would be long-term thinking and speed combined, like having that. And this is a paradox. And so then, you need on one side to have this long-term vision and, uh, and to be extremely agile. Uh, right. You know, some people say it, it looks like a duck that knows where it goes, but under the water is, is crawling like crazy, but you cannot see it. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I will take another water metaphor for those who are, of your listeners who are, who are, who are doing sailing, um, 
if you don't know the port you want to go, uh, let's start differently. You never know what will be the next uh, turn because it depends on the wind, on the obstacles, on your competitors, etc. So you don't know the zigzags that you're going to do. But if you don't know the port you want to go, you will never reach it. So, and, and so this paradox is for me only apparent. Uh, what I see too often is that we are very short term. So we are increasingly under pressure of outside events. You are playing defense. Uh, so you are like, uh, you know, like a snowball in a big uh, avalanche. So you don't know where, or you're a skier in an avalanche. You don't know where you're going to end up. And so you, you risk hitting stones and, and, and being badly hurt or, or worse. Um, and on the other side, we have heavy, heavy, uh, you know, shoes that don't allow us to be, yeah. to be super agile. What I'm saying is not absolutely not easy to have, obviously, because these, this is a leadership issue also, but that needs then to, um, uh, but it's a, it has a consequence. That's the other uh, experience I had from this family office time, but also from, from entrepreneurs who came from this environment is that, um, the paradox is that often you see family businesses as super vertical, like, you know, very hierarchical. Often you see the most performing ones actually working like, um, like, you know, these old style conglomerates where you had a common vision, but a lot of very independent, mm -hmm. uh, uh, small businesses, we would call them business units that can be super agile because yeah. one size that not fits all, especially right. not now. True. Yeah, um, a very very interesting uh, metaphors that you have there. But let's let's uh, let's let's close this chapter. Otherwise, we're not going to get to the to the other very interesting topics. Um, you know, from what you from what you have said already now, um, I think it gets very clear that you are indeed. Let's say, I don't want to use the word fighting, but I think that's the closest that or the best word that that I could actually use for this fighting for actually Europe having these two two characteristics right speed and long-term vision so um and I guess to be honest my assumption on this is that this has not always been there but that your time in China probably has has brought you to this to this engagement or to this let's say energy that you have now uh, for 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 Europe, uh, I am not sure. You can obviously correct me on this, but let's say now let's make the move to towards your time in China, which obviously then was also combined with your entrepreneurial uh, journey. Um, how obviously you said two thousand? What time was that when you went there? Two thousand six. Two thousand six. I mean, I I cannot really say what was happening in two thousand six. I guess I was too young for that, uh, but. Thank you for reminding me of my age. <laughs> well, I didn't say I didn't say how old you are. So, but what was your, what was your, I mean, idea on going to China? What was I mean? What 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 were you thinking? How how was that happening? I mean, did you have a long term vision? Did you have let's say, or was it just okay? There's something happening. I need to go there. What was what was the basically the spark that 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 brought you there? I mean, it was the spark was mainly uh, triggered by this family office. I mean, there's okay. one learning experience. Uh, uh, I want to sound too professoral here, but uh, you know, we talked about transparency before. That was my my former uh, the, the former head of the family I was working for, who who was reminded me. You know, when you create a business, it's it's very simplific 
it's, it's a simplification, but it's a, always a useful tool. And that is explaining my, my time in China. You know, you, you have three uh, unknowns. You have the, the people, the entrepreneur, you have the business, the sector in which you are, and you have the, the country, the environment. If you only know one of the three, the risk that you're taking, and you don't know, for example, the, the person you're betting on and the sector, I mean, you should never do that because this is lottery and you might lose a lot of money. If the three are known, you know very well the, the, the business, the, the, the environment and the, and the company, well, you can imagine that the upside has been already shaved uh, by somebody. It has commoditized it. So there's no really upside. Come back to your transparency topic. Um, if one is unknown, uh, then that's maybe there that you have an upside. And this was uh, the, 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 the reason I went to, to Asia because basically uh, uh, I, I, I had already built for another family, uh, uh, family office. So I knew this business. I was into private equity. Had, I had already a track record building up. Um, I knew how to work in a family environment where obviously the, the perspectives and the long term is different than in a, in a normal uh, uh, fund but I had no clue about China and so and, and Asia. But I saw that it was obviously there, as well as the family that I was working for, that uh, the growth, the entrepreneurs, the first generation, it was by the way, 99% and still today it is, uh, growth capital. While at the, at the opposite in Europe, we were entering into buyouts. I don't want to, um, you know, spoil the soup. And, and obviously many, many people are making fortunes in buyouts, but I think buyouts, a little bit less exciting, it's more financial engineering, uh, a lot of people will hate me for saying that, than gross capital. Gross capital, you're really behind a, a venture, you're, I mean, startups is in the same environment. I mean, you're taking minority stake and very often you're betting on the entrepreneur. And so this is, it was basically the far west of, uh, or the far east uh, in this case, of gross capital. And that's what excited me to go there. Frankly speaking, had I known the difficulties of doing business in, in Asia that I think is becoming obvious for everybody since two, three, four years. Um, I would have never done it. But again, this was this uncertainty which made me go there because otherwise I would have said, ooh, way too risky. And a lot of people thought uh, I, was, I was crazy. But um, obviously that the great, the great time, I mean, in 2006, 2005, 2006, uh, you know, the, the Alibabas and the 10 cents were still very, very small kids. I, I think, the, the GDP of China, just to put that in perspective, I think hit, if I'm not mistaking, uh, 3 trillion in 2006. We are at 15 trillion today. <laughs> so just to give you an idea, so the real growth in absolute numbers, not in, per in percentages, happened afterwards. So I experienced all that and all these entrepreneurs, some, some of them I know very well, uh, were a source of inspiration. But at the contrary, I realized how much the system, how much, uh, you know, I'm not an anti-China at all. Uh, I have a lot of respect for, and I, I think it's important to distinguish the system and the, the people. So I think you have incredible talent, a drive, people who are, you, you know, this famous sentence of uh, Jack Ma, the 99, uh, uh, or the, how he calls that, the 996, so nine hours yeah. per day, from nine to nine, That's six nine. days a week. Days a week, yeah, exactly. Uh, and this is, for the people who work with him, the entrepreneurs. I mean, it's in no other country you had meetings at two o'clock in the morning and <laughs> it don't happen all the time, but uh, 
you know, you had business being done all the time and the, 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 the speed of execution. On the other side, uh, that's where I shaped my conviction that uh, increasingly technology is not just a sector, and we come back to the European topic, but is a, a, a fundamental component of our societies. And the more we advance, the more it is. I mean, face recognition will change the way our societal bonds are, are done. Uh, deep fakes, which is an AI topic, will, will change our, our relationship with what is true. Uh, I mean, if we see how fake news are already disturbing the, so, the, the, the social construct and the public debate, imagine when videos will be unrecognizable if they are true or not. Um, obviously, um, uh, uh, topics like, like uh, you know, look at the whole debate we had on tracing apps. Uh, so that's where I forged my conviction that if we want to, s our values that we are attached to in Europe to survive, we need to be top of the game. Otherwise, um, I think we are really going to be a colony. I, I don't mind being a colony if it's for the good, but I think that if we lose our values for that, actually, I mind. Uh, I, I think it's important in order to be respected that, uh, that you are top of the game. Otherwise, you are just playing defense and that's not a strategy. 100%. I, I, I think that we are, uh, I think that Europe is already a colony in, in that sense of uh, what is a, a modern day. Remind me what technology we are currently using to do this, uh, to do this, uh, this podcast. <laughs> exactly, 100%. Uh, I think we, uh, in the sense, it is a very good word that you used a colony. We are already a colony in the sense because, well, uh, a modern day colony, because uh, back in the days, so, um, you know, what is a colony? A colony was a place that was, uh, used by a superior power to to drain resources right and that what is the resource of of our time the resource of our time is uh, is obviously information data right so um and we are already a colony of, of certain and increasingly the people and increasingly the people too right um and i i think i think that there's a, a lot of truth that you uh did you say and um have you read the book um ai powers by kai fu lee I think uh, it's exactly what um, he, he basically mentions also these things um, that you said in terms of, okay, what, what the reasons are uh, to, to explain why China is how it is, right? In terms of the entrepreneurs, the energy and everything. But for people that have not been in China and have experienced, I mean, there's different, there's different levels on how you can experience China, right? Uh, I was also once in China, um, that was in 2000 and um 17 16 17 i think yeah 2017 and uh, i mean i also saw that uh, but, but i experienced it more from the 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 old economy uh, old econ economy so this whole import export um, side right i was in guangzhou so i entered through uh, hong kong went to guangzhou and uh, was there for a bit but i didn't see the this 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 fast moving tech sector in, in shenzhen or so right where you have these uh, hardware valleys so and and but for, for people that have not experienced China from, from this technology aspect, right? How, what would you tell them in order to paint them a picture of, of what is happening there? Because, I mean, there has been already quite some documentaries about, about that, but it's, it's always interesting to get that from a person that experienced that firsthand, right? For, and obviously for a long time. Look, I mean... The First, that, that will be my main learning, is that all those who profess you uh, something about China, uh, if, you, if they're giving you more than two or three advice, 
you should run away because um, China is so complex and so fast moving that anybody who thinks he has a learning uh, is probably already uh, more or less a fool. Uh, and I will even talk about that, about the Chinese, because even the China, I mean, what's happening in Beijing is totally different than Shanghai, than totally different than Guangzhou. It's actually much more, uh, it looks like a centralistic state. That is, for example, what the French are totally misunderstanding, many of them, is they think, oh, it's another, you know, Paris is Beijing and you have the provinces and no, no, no. Uh, uh, there's no one size fits all. The way you do business in Shanghai is different than uh, so. So, but I'm going to make one exception. Is um, is indeed that? Uh, uh, I mean, think you you mentioned about this book about Kai Fuli. I will disagree uh, just on one. I not disagree, but two two learning out of that. Let's not fall into the trap where the Chinese are and I'm generalizing, see, so I'm making a counterexample of what I just said. Um, when the city of Tianjin or whatever city announces that it puts 15 billion uh, RMB, so in AI, the way in China, you never know if you're talking about what exists, what has been decided about the future. And by the way, this is why so many great companies happen and why so few foreigners had the guts to actually put the money in that, because there is this incredible characteristic of Chinese entrepreneur that you never really know if they talk about the future division. So, so basically they're, tell, they're selling you the product out of a factory that does not exist yet, and they tell uh, the, the banker to, or the investor that this factory already exists, so they have already clients. But since the two things happen at the same time, Often, you know, the cat falls back on its feet and then you suddenly have a, a, a gigantic miracle, which the Europeans, Germans, the, the Cartesian French do much less because they are more cautious and the business plans are more linear in which are the, what is the, 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 the century in which we are. It's a buzzword again, but it's a true one. We are in an exponential time. So uh, you are never sure to win but you're almost sure to lose if you're thinking linear. That's, almost, that's more and more sure. And this is, again, a problem for our democracies because they think very, very linear. Um, but coming back to Kai Fu Li, the problem I have with this book is that this book, under the impression, I know Kai Fu well, uh, I know him from the, the time uh, at, when he was head of Google then, um, He's not a friend because I don't know him that well, but he was somebody I met uh, several times. And uh, uh, this book, under the appearance of an almost academic book, is, uh, is completely a book uh, uh, about you know, praising uh, models or uh, a confrontation between the US. And he has this sentence about saying AI is like a coin with two faces, the US and the Chinese one. Um, I mean, no, first, I don't accept that as a European. And secondly, I think it's, 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 for me, it's technology propaganda. What worries me more is that you have famous conferences in Germany and in, in Switzerland, I won't name who they are, who actually invite this, this, this gentleman, who is obviously extremely eloquent. And, 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 and uh, when he tells you how bad the Europeans are, we even applaud. I mean, at one point, we in Europe need to be a little bit more self-confident because if you're not self-confident you all know that i mean all the entrepreneurs around the table know 
if you don't have at least this this willingness not this stubbornness but this this perseverance you will never succeed and we have to be careful and remember what jack ma promised to donald trump he promised remember the first meeting they had at the trump tower i think i think it was during the transition period 2016 when he was just elected he promised a million jobs of alibaba in the us remember that that was a way to to alleviate the, the tension of our uh, favorite uh, U.S. president. I say that in brackets, obviously. How many hundreds of employees Alibaba has today? I don't know, but probably clearly not a million. But again, uh, perception is reality. And today in Europe, in France, in Germany, many in Brussels, everybody is convinced that the Chinese are decades ahead in AI. This is not the case. They have an incredible advantage with scale. They have an incredible technological advance um, because they're able, they have much less uh, worry about mixing databases like we are. But I still am convinced uh, that privacy, unless, the, uh, not like the European Commission is doing that, should not be a regulation, but it should be a, a key success, a key differentiator. And look, the, the, U, the, uh, the Californians uh, 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 have also adopted some kind of a regulation like we have. And even in China, I would make the bet that Chinese people individually are attached to a sort of... So how do we as Europeans turn these values into competitive advantage and not just as regulation? Same thing with sustainability. We were the ones that invented, especially the Germans with the green movement and so on in the 70s and 80s, they invented this notion of sustainability. Who is producing 99% of the solar panels today? The Chinese. Who is already producing 55% of the, electric, uh, the batteries? The Chinese. We need to be able to turn our visions and our values into, into, uh, into competitive advantage. So that's my big learning out of China is that uh, how do you transform how, just being right on the values is not enough. You need to, to transform it. Otherwise, other systems with different uh, value systems, which I don't adhere at all, I think, the, the, I think now it has become obvious, but two years ago you still had this consensus globally that everybody will come together in a nice human community. I would love that as a person, but that's not happening. We see today confrontation of systems and uh, that's why I'm not a passionate European, I'm more a passionate humanistic uh, person. And I think we need to have humanistic by design in our, in our technologies. And that's where Europe could be, could be leader. And I'm a bit, uh, yeah, worried that we're not grappling this, this, this opportunity. I 100% agree with you. Um, this is the whole discussion about, um, about let's say, uh, applying technology, right? From, from let's say, research, having a strength in research to, towards, let's say, getting things into to actually the applied state, right? I had a really interesting conversation uh, with, let's say, uh, Hans uh, Uskoreit, uh, who is now in China, who's, uh, who is leading the, the German Center for Artificial Intelligence. And he, he told me some about the history. He said, Another uh, of our talent that we, that we lost. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, about the talent that we lost, about the, uh, how Google Translate was ultimately uh, was actually uh, developed by by some Germans, uh, you know, and then went to Google, and it was actually a bunch of German engineers. It was really interesting, and 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 that is actually a hundred percent where I where I agree with you. This is where 
where we don't see um, or haven't, I, I, would, I would differentiate, where we haven't seen in the past, you know, um, enough strong efforts, uh, let's say, from, from, from Europe. But I would hardly, uh, let's say, I would, I would really strictly differentiate now because I believe that we are now entering into a different, a different time in the sense of, in, in terms of what is being developed. Because what you see is Facebook struggling hard with their business model because they don't know how to, let's say, reinvent themselves and how they would change their business model. Because, I mean, their business model is ads. That's it. You know, and the whole social, yeah, there was this whole social movement. But, I mean, how many social networks can there be? Right. I mean, now we have one that is really going big, which uh, has been besides the app that we are using now uh, being the top uh, downloaded uh, app. But I mean, you know, social is, is not everything, you know, the same as with recommender systems for for e-commerce or whatsoever, you know. But the next thing that we are really entering and where the really impact of, let's say, for people, for our daily lives will be is like the whole, let's say, um, is, is the whole industrial is, is the whole industrial field in a sense, right? But I mean, it's it's funny if you look at all these let's say big consultancy firms and on their reports, right, and all these conferences and presentations on the future and stuff like that. It's it has like none of them mention anything related to what we have been using or have seen now, right? It has it is everything regarding let's say machine to machine communication, having our let's say car or whatever communicating with with other let's say hardware products and 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 this is exactly where i think you know the the, the table uh, or the cards are being let's say given out completely new right there's a, it's 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 now it's really about okay what is what is the next what is going to be the next phase and who's who's who has what strengths and what let's say um yeah um how do you say the, the the best the best starting point in this sense and and I, I i totally agree with you also there's really this lack of confidence and it's really has been pushed also by media a lot in, in in europe that yeah we're really lagging behind behind china and us and i've been talking to a lot of people like a lot of people in the i space as well and that i always ask them on, on their opinion of china and one that would um is now also um uh, uh, somebody that I exchange with on a regular basis is uh, as, as uh, leading uh, uh, the AI lab for a, a large, large corporation in Germany, and he he was the first one actually that stepped out and said like I don't think that we're really lagging behind. I think that Europe or um, individual countries have more or less a marketing problem. You know, not really a competence problem, but a marketing problem in the sense that they that they are not really let's say able to to you know say what their strengths are really. I, will, I would complement two things. One, fully agree. Take the example of DeepMind. DeepMind is, for me, an example where both regulation and self-confidence has made us misunderstand that. When Google bought uh, that company in 2014, if I, I'm right, um, the consensus is more or less saying that 20%, 30% of the top talent in AI were in this company, based in the UK. I think they bought it for 500 million a company that was doing 50, 60 million pounds in revenues. I am not 100% sure about the numbers. Yeah. But obviously something going under the, the radar screen of our famous competition uh, policy. But I think with this one move, Google probably did more harm to the AI. Uh, first, acknowledged the power of, of European talent. Um, 
and but secondly killed much more competition because number one because this talent was not there anymore to you know to create other companies in the european ecosystems and so on and we still don't understand in our competition policy so that's why i also have hopes with this new commission but come on guys uh, you have been named uh, in July, confirmed in November, we are June 2020, there's still no noise about an updated uh, competition policy. Are we going to get that in 2022? That will be too late. Again, a question of speed. So the people begin to realize that actually competition is not anymore about market share, which is important, but as a thing of the 20th century, is about having access to the talent. And when you see the recent tech acquisitions, uh, they acquire both clients and business models as well as talents. You have increasingly the big giants when they buy a company. It's also to to buy the 50, 100, 150 great talents that is that is inside. And that is something that we in Europe have not understood uh, yet. And uh, and the other thing I want to say, yes, there is a marketing problem, but there is also a scale problem. Okay. Uh, I was personally involved in both in France and in Germany when there was the AI plans. So I was uh, questioned, uh, I, I got some hearings, etc. on both sides. Okay, AI is probably, if there's one area where you need scale more than everywhere else, at least with the current technology, which is big data, which I believe is not the, the end, it's just one technology. My, my young kid does not need a million tag photos to recognize a cat. So the next thing will be probably small data but that's another topic. They all talk about Europe and then the French do their French AI strategy. The yeah. Germans do the German AI strategy. The Belgians have the, Germ the Belgium AI strategy. And then the Europeans add something on top of that where they spend 18 months. And again, I'm supporting that. I think they're doing, they're, they're in good faith, but they spend 15 months on the ethical part and three months on the use cases. Right. So, Nobody will wonder that in two years, when you have different regulations, even if the Germans always say, yes, we need the Schulterschluss with our European colleagues. Yeah, nobody will have the Schulterschluss. You will have different priorities, so you will have different set of regulation. And then we will have an, um, the same agency cost for a German startup to become big in France. It will need to recreate more or less. So you will not have what is the key and, and just pouring more money, that is the investor who is talking about that, I think the big difference between you, and I don't hear that often enough, I think, uh, between China, US, and Europe, the risk and technology is the same. You lose everything, right? It's, uh, you can lose all your equity. But the upside, when you make it big in China, is tremendous. The upside when you make it big in, 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 in the US, in, 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 in US is big. The upside when you make it big, okay, you make a big German company. So the risk reward perspective for an investor is much lower in right. Europe. And so you can pour the money you want uh, if you don't do a single European market in cyber, in, in, in AI, in, uh, in, in think about IoT and 5Gs. I mean, the Germans and the French, the Germans have done 400 rounds of auctions. They have a set of frequencies. The French have not started yet. Uh, there is no single market, so there will be no scale. And but this is in our hands. And this is, I think, on that one, 
I, I, I think the politicians have a huge responsibility right. because the French just launched a quantum. Um, I mean, three months ago, they launched a quantum. Uh, it's ridiculous to have a French quantum uh, strategy. Right, right, right. Uh, the Germans just launched, the German government just launched a hydrogen plant. Great to have a hydrogen plant. But then again, but connection with the other countries. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. But then again, on what level? Like, I, I would, I would also see that this is a political, this is a political um, responsibility, right? Because I mean, you know, the big, the big tech companies um, also manage to, uh, to let's say, de deploy teams uh, or, or conquer every, let's say national market that we have in europe because europe yeah in its entirety it's 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 very valuable right it's 500 million high-paying customers that's why i mean without europe obviously china and america is also doing back because it's a huge market but obviously i mean if an airbnb is coming they are rolling out or an uber they're rolling out state uh, city by city maybe or even like country by country they first go into the big one and uh, the biggest one and then step by step and then they launch a team there a team there and Obviously, they also, going back to your point in terms of talent, yes, that's what they did as well. I mean, Airbnb came and basically just bought off the copycats that were already, let's say, in, in Europe, right? Uh, uh, with the same business model and just bought the team, rebranded the whole thing, and then basically just, just went ahead. But then again, how would you solve that, right? Is it, is it a really... Is it a is it a political uh, is it a political problem that everybody is launching their individual, individual uh, let's say, activities? I think it's very sexy for a politician to announce an AI strategy. So, uh, we just need visionaries who don't just talk Europe, and I don't want to mention some, uh, but who actually do it. And too often you see, uh, for some, you don't see a European perspective at all. So I, I leave them completely in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, how to say, in the, in the books of history. Uh, but uh, you see too often uh, talks about doing Europe, but then having a national strategy. And I think they are in good faith. They say, okay, let's start first national, and then we will scale European. But yeah. we all know that if you don't start it with a European's perspective from the beginning, it's going to be super complicated or very costly. And coming back to your point about the, the big platforms, I don't know a lot of examples of companies who made it big without a big home market. We should not forget yeah. the, why, the reason why the, an Airbnb, uh, at, I mean, in the previous era, WeWork had so much um, capacity to roll, roll out. First, because I think they are very good in execution because they train their execution capabilities on the complicated market like the US because mar the US market is not a unified market. We all know that. But you know, uh, from an investor point of view, they got also a lot of means because there, there was already the huge upside potential. And, and all the, the foreign entities were additions, which can become huge because, as you said yourself, Europe is, a, is, is the, actually the largest market in the world if you take it together. Um, uh, so so I, I think you need this home market advantage. So what needs to happen? I mean, look, cybersecurity, if there's one topic that I think for the moment has not been completely preempted uh, and where probably China is not necessarily coming with a great advantage uh, for obvious reasons um, uh, um, and will become big. I mean, we, if we believe that digital has experienced an incredible acceleration during this crisis, we will also see all the risk of putting people in telework and, 
and and having more and more remote boards and i mean we, we all heard about the zoom bombing etc um so so cyber is it, just as a case we have 27 different cyber agencies we have one inisa which is i don't know what it's doing but it's doing coordination somewhere in athens uh, i i actually know the head so he will hate me to say that but <laughs> And, and I think it's not the problem of, of ENISA of the European Commission in this case, it's because the member states don't want to leave part of their little power because they think it's important, especially on sensitive topics like cyber. But what they don't understand is that, I give the example almost from a security perspective, which I've experienced, you know, out, uh, attribution, which is the capacity to know who attacks you. Uh, if you even talk about, there are only two countries who today master attribution. It's Russia and the US. Uh, and the problem, if you don't know anymore who attacks you, you don't know how to retaliate. So even from a sovereignty point of view, you actually lost your sovereignty. And it's no way that the French and the Germans will do that alone. The problem is, is that you see too little coordination on this fundamental topic, which is both linking uh, sovereign aspects, technology aspects. I mean, look at how cyber is a huge driver for the, for the, for the Israeli ecosystem, uh, which has most of the leaders who are either acquired or still stand alone coming out of Israel. Uh, so, uh, but here you will tell me, okay, Israel has not big home market, but for Israel, the US, it's its, it's home market, exactly. or the world, it's its home market. Yeah, so, exactly. But this exactly. is what we need to do. And in AI is the same topic. And if we believe the next big thing in hydrogen, and if we, Maybe we've lost the battle on, on batteries. I mean, you probably saw uh, Elon Musk just announced big plans in, in doing a metal-free, by the way, this is one of the Jedi challenges, is metal-free, metal heavy metal-free uh, uh, batteries. That's the way to be true to our values and to be not dependent on, on Chinese cobalt and to, to, to think about the next big thing. Uh, but maybe the other next big thing is hydrogen. We cannot have national plans because then... Uh, you will need to depend on foreign markets to have your home base. And, and you know which is the home market today of the German automotive industry? It's China. Because 30% of the business of the main... Uh, of yeah. the main. And so you are very dependent on this market. And so you end up then being not as free as you want when you, you develop your technologies or even your, your sovereign aspects. So you're actually creating dependencies. Yeah, that's that's uh, it's really really incredible in that sense. I mean, um, you already mentioned it now, uh, the, the first uh, Jedi challenge, and and I cannot really wait to 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 jump in there because uh, that is, to be honest, the, and I hope I hope I hope you can uh, you can give us a, a a nice introduction or vision about that, and I hope it's also going to be really successful because the idea behind that is really really incredible. So. Maybe, I mean, it is, it's very obvious in, in the sense if you know what the abbreviation stands for, uh, so what the mission of it is, but maybe you can start by giving a quick introduction of what the idea behind JEDI is, but what I find very much more interesting is also what was the backstory to that? So what was, what was happening before it was actually launched? Okay, so uh, the, 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 the 10 second pitch is that JEDI is, so it's the Joint European Disruptive Initiative. Everywhere, I mean, obviously it's a nice acronym. Some people tell us, uh, 
we have one of the coolest names existing. Obviously, uh, uh, no relationship at all with the other Jedis, but we are on the right side. Uh, we won't tell you which empires we are fighting, but um, I mean, there's all, and there's this, you know, resistance aspect, which, which is also uh, 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 um, interesting. But every word counts. Joint European, because we are, we are not ideologically European. And I think also the debate on Europe needs to, to change. It's, it needs to be a pragmatic European. That's how we are going to convince our citizens. It's not by just, uh, I think it was De Gaulle saying, you're jumping uh, on your seat and saying, Europe, Europe. That's not, I mean, you know, the young generation wants to see, uh, and all of us, we want to see uh, results. We don't want just to see big, uh, big speeches. Disruptive and not defense. I mean, our model is obviously the, Euro the, the American DARPA, uh, which was set up in the context of the Cold War, so everything was defense-oriented. We are, we are strongly believers that it's all about the next big thing, so it's about the, the disruption. An initiative, because we have, um, we have a dream, which is that we may be able in Europe not to invent another administrative body. Again, I'm not against administration, but I think administration is in contradiction with what I just mentioned, both the long-term planning, because you're protecting a bit the existing administration incumbents for me is, is very similar. And uh, administration obviously goes a bit against um, uh, the agility. We hope that it's going to. So the idea is to have an entity that will invest, put money in everything which is actually not invest, which is, which is going to put money into everything which is too risky or too long-term for the private sector. Because there's a big misunderstanding, especially in Europe, that more startups equals more innovation. I mean, me as a both entrepreneur and former um, uh, investor, I mean, everybody knows when you don't have a business case, when you don't have an IR, a return on investment, even if it's a very high one, if you don't have a perspective of being bought, you will never put a single euro into a company. And we precisely think that there is a gap today, and this is what DARPA filled, to say, okay, let's invent the next big thing. The risks is total. I mean, we, can, uh, we don't know if we're going to succeed, but if we succeed, then it's going to change the name of the game. So basically, Jedi is launching challenges. Um, so there's this idea of changing the methodology, saying, we don't care where the good ideas are coming from. We care about excellence. So, is, so it's not just about all in startups or all in big corporates or all in research. You know, if it's a big research entity, a big corporate or an unknown startup from anywhere, we're going to fund them. There's no more re, uh, geographical return. And unfortunately, as you know, Europe today, kind of, you know, this famous uh, word of Margaret Thatcher, give me my money back is basically, you put 20% in the pot, you want to get 20% back. Um, it's a very valid political objective, but uh, it does not serve the purpose. So what we say is that if 90% of the best ideas a given year uh, come from Slovenia or from Poland or from France or from Germany, we need to have the courage to put 90% of the money there. This is absolutely contradictory with what's happening today. Uh, third thing, speed. Uh, we need to be, nobody, increasingly nobody can predict the future. Uh, so if you try to do calls that are, you know, very precisely defining what will be the fighter jet of 2040 
or the plane of 2030 or the battery of 2025, you're sure you were going to be wrong. So it's all about experimentation. Something I learned and I think is one of the competitive advantage of China is they're experimenting to, in permanent. I mean, we know that from the special economic zones, Shenzhen is a good, it was an experiment. It would have never worked. We never have heard about that. But now it went from 200,000 fishermen ports to a 20 million probably uh, capital hardware in, 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 in the world. And fourth thing, having the courage to stop almost from one day to another when something does not work. And the big surprise is that actually the best brains in Europe, they love that. They, they tell us, give us the means to, to develop something radically new, but be very, very demanding. And what we do too often in Europe, and I'm oversimplifying their exceptions, is we don't trust actually. So we have a lot of procedures. Do you know that at the Juncker plan, at the worst of it, there were eight different entities. I know some European uh, people will tell me I'm wrong, but I heard that from the inside that you have eight different committees to get financing. You don't do something disruptive with that. So if you believe, I come back to my initial thing, that the Europeans are a little bit late on some aspects. So they don't have another choice than to uh, leapfrog. And secondly, there is an opportunity. So that's the very optimistic view of Jedi, that we can reshuffle the card, but provided that we are uh, uh, not fighting, I mean, that we don't develop a competition to Amazon AWS, makes zero sense. We will lose. We have 4% market share, tendons uh, uh, descending. Uh, but if we invent, I'll give you another example of a Jedi challenge, data centers that consume a tenth of what they consume today, there you have a game changer. If you invent a battery which don't have heavy metal, you have a game changer. If you invent a way to, uh, to produce hydrogen at a third of the cost of today, then you have a game changer. If you do face recognition without um, a single database that can be attacked, misused, etc., which is today the way you do a face recognition, then you have a game changer, which is true to our values, decentralized, no risk of, you know, George Orwell, 1984, or worse, Aldous Huxley, a brave new world. But you still have the mission because we often forget to give this example of face recognition, that face recognition is actually something good, especially for the less favored part of the population, because I, I, we will see increasingly uh, hacks into uh, identity. So we need some tools that can protect the identity of everybody. Maybe it's, it's so Jedi is about launching challenges. Uh, and the breakthrough for us was obviously that we launched the first one uh, two months ago. So we are for a bit more than a year, we were pushing for the governments to put that in place. They have all got inspired by our, by our ideas, but we think we need to be much bolder. And we should not just do another little entity that is going to be, you know, like uh, these innovation hubs that you see in some of the big corporates that are done in order to show that you're cool and modern, but we really need to, to, to hack the system. Um, so we do that in good cooperation with the states, but we also say we're not going to wait for you guys. We're going to be uh, ahead. And what is very interesting is since we are live since two months, suddenly 
a lot of governments are saying, oh, by the way, what you're doing is very interesting. Could we do it? So, you know, the famous sentence, uh, 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 um, uh, how do you say, defeats his orphan and victory has many fathers. And we're very happy that, that others uh, are yeah. taking this idea. 100%. But now, um, give, me, give me the backstory to when you had, let's say, when the idea was created and who did you need to call or visit or speak to in order to make this happen? Look, the initial, the initial group of, today Jedi is approximately 4,000 people, uh, uh, a quarter uh, heads of science labs or universities, a quarter executive committee members of large corporates, a quarter are CTOs or CEOs of, of, of deep tech startups, and a quarter are scientists, visionaries, science fiction writers, I mean, people who have a, both a technology understanding and a, and a, and a vision. Uh, for, for the future and, and, and an open mind, 25 different countries. Initially, we were 15, uh, 16, uh, French and German uh, that actually wrote a five-page paper uh, with basically three ideas. We needed this tool uh, to, invent in, uh, to invest in everything which is too risky or too long-term. We should not do it only French or only German let's have a beginning of scale, but let's not wait for the 28 or 27 countries to agree. So let's start with the French term and let's emulate what, not everything, but what DARPA did is this methodology I mentioned about boldness, stopping, um, experimenting all the time, etc. cetera. Uh, this paper that was crafted was two weeks later, ended up uh, uh, through uh, uh, one of the persons who who worked on the economic program of, of President Macron, and uh, he took it over. I mean, it was one of the 15 or 16 points of his Sorbonne speech, which was, again, his keynote speech on Europe. And uh, so we said, wow, mission accomplished. Uh, we can, now it has been taken over. So a couple of days later, we were meeting with one of his advisors in the Elysee, and that was, said that to us, yes, it's much more complicated than Getting you back to the ground, huh? And he said, well, we, we need to hear from, hear from the Germans that they're really on board. We need to see a noped, I remember these words, in a, in a paper version of a big media uh, of all the people behind Jedi. He said, it's a bit of a strange idea for disruptive innovation to do a paper op-ed, but, you know, uh, open uh, gas commentar, as we say in German. And uh, we need to, to, to do an investigation to see if this idea makes sense. So we said, okay, but the president just apparently backed it. Yeah, well, anyway. So um, long story short, uh, after three months, uh, first we got, I'm, I'm telling you the open story, huh? that's now two years old, so, uh, 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 some people told us, yes, but you went to Germany pretending having some government support of France. Uh, you didn't get this government support. We said, well, you told us to try to get the Germans on board. And you had a few Staatssekretärs who were already very excited about that. Yeah. Secondly, you are too convinced about that. We are going to create a commission that is going to investigate that. So you see, it's not only in Germany that you have these Prüfungs. Uh, Commission, you have that also in France. And the Germans, 
that's my understanding. I'm not sure about now 100% of the story. I think felt, okay, another great idea. And, and yeah, and the last point we mentioned, and for those who know friends in Germany know well, they will, they will appreciate that. Uh, we said, yes, President Macron has really changed the perception of, um, of France and Germany. Uh, it's taken more seriously. We're ready to... But still, uh, if it's only just a good idea coming out of Paris, I think the French should put 10 million, 1 million, 100,000. We don't really care about the amount, but show that it's not just an idea where then you expect the Germans, I'm oversimplifying to pay, but that actually the French are ready to put some serious money in. No, 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 let's first wait that the Germans, it's kind of a catch 22 here. And so three months later, what we understood is that on the German side, uh, uh, the BMVI uh, felt okay, again, French, good French idea. Let's do a first German initiative first. And so that's how the Agentur für Sprung Innovation was created. That was May, 2018. When you take the, the press release it's almost similar to the paper that we did in September. It's, it's probably a coincidence. The French created their Conseil de l'Innovation, French-French, 12 people on the board, six ministers. Six ministers, great, <laughs> super political backing. I don't think that, we don't think that a lot of disruptive things will come out of it. And now they're currently talking to see what they can do together. But once the structures exist, you won't have the scale, all the topics we talked at length before. So fast forward, this little group that grew to several hundreds of people, we immediately also understood, and I think we're on the right uh, here, that if you do only something French-German, what people don't realize in Paris and Berlin is that you make the people in Warsaw, in Stockholm, in Copenhagen and in Rome very, very nervous, even if it's in good faith. So immediately we brought in on our board, um, uh, people from, from, uh, from uh, academics and, and entrepreneurs from Italy, from Poland, from, from Estonia, from Sweden, etc., to make it truly European and not just an appearance. And uh, six months ago, we said, okay, this acceleration of technology, this acceleration of digital, and that was pre-corona, that was November 2019, we need to do something um, we, we, we should be on a positive note. So instead of like, uh, you know, um, uh, always pushing and saying we need to do, we need to do, let's do it. And hopefully if we succeed, uh, this will be some kind of a prototype. So we're actually doing the DARPA methodology applied to ourselves. So we are prototyping the European DARPA and that is, that is Jedi. And, uh, and uh, this, this first challenge is for us clearly a breakthrough because now we are really, there's a blueprint for doing many more challenges and we are now 4,000 people and growing by uh, tens of members every, every, every week. So it's, uh, it's, it's great. So, how, for, so where's the budget coming from and what is the budget looking like? Look, I mean, initially we had high hopes to get the budget from, uh, from public uh, sources. We still are working on that, but uh, to be honest, uh, it's a bit hopeless. Uh, once, because for one reason is because once you have a little German or French people tell you, oh, why don't we first put our money and our efforts in our national initiative? Well, I think now people had a very interesting conversation with your minister of research, 
uh, that I think now fully, I mean, at least um, uh, seems to see that as a positive addition. It was first seen, okay, how, how. Secondly, I think for public uh, administration, it's very difficult to imagine something which is, and we are always asked, are you public or are you private? And we say, well, we believe, and this goes back into the greater scheme, if our democracies need to survive, we need to invent some kind of a third way where you have, and so we are structured as a foundation because we believe in something which is common good. So everything we do at Jedi is, of course, not for profit. It's not an investment. We put grants. Um, but we do it outside of a traditional administration in order to have the agility uh, of, so we think a foundation is the, is the, is the right way to do. And um, so we still have hopes, but uh, we see the calls that to get, to get access to public money. Uh, you need to be so prescribed. I mean, there are good efforts, especially on the European Commission side. They're trying to do something which is much more agile. But um, we came to the conclusion that if you, if you do that within the traditional structures, it will never, it will be killed by everything which sees that as a, <coughs> something which is not applying the traditional, what we call in Europe, the financial engagement rules, where you need to make sure that, uh, uh, I give you an anecdote, we, uh, some, some higher uh, civil servants in Europe told us, I really love this idea. Um, uh, we want to support you. And then we said, okay, how do we do Well, we're going to launch a call uh, for European DARPA. Uh, you will be able to respond, of course, we cannot guarantee you that you will win because you, we will put you in competition with everybody else. So it makes a lot of sense from an intellectual point of view. But first, the call was about, well, it never happened, uh, 12 months. And secondly, this capacity of sometimes to be able to make bets and to say, okay, let's test it. Let's test it small. You don't lose a lot of money if it doesn't work well and you make it. Uh, that is a capacity that we are, we are not seeing a lot. And so right now, what we are seeing is increasingly foundations and big organizations who say, well, actually, <clears throat> on topics like sustainability, on topics like reinventing the way you do drug discovery, that's what we're doing with our COVID-19 challenge, is about uh, testing billions of molecules on their interaction on, on, on the virus. Um, uh, we need this kind of entity and it's not a surprise. You probably saw which are the, 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 the companies which have been uh, so much in the news uh, in the US. Uh, one doing a vaccine, uh, RNA vaccine called Moderna. And the other one was Sanofi that got into a controversy because they said the US would be served first if we have a vaccine. They're both financed by the, the US BARDA, which is the biological version of, of DARPA. And, uh, and so we just need to have that. So instead of waiting for something coming out of Brussels, we are putting that at the disposal of policymakers, but we're making it happen ourselves. So basically the funding that the majority or the funding is coming as of right now from a, the private sector, obviously. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and clearly, and I, I take this opportunity, uh, we, uh, we, we, need, we need more and, uh, and we see for the private funders who are putting money in, there's no return on investment to expect, but you know, we're going to launch a microplastics in the ocean grand challenge. Uh, I think for a lot of uh, fast-moving consumer good companies that want to show that they're not just greenwashing on this plastic problem, but they're really doing something, it's probably an opportunity to showcase 
uh, their 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 the societal engagement for uh, companies in 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 um, and the other way is that for a lot of companies they realize that just creating startups does not allow them to tap into the wealth of of competencies because you're always made making individual bets and the principle of challenges um uh, developed by an independent platform that is not pushing this or this technology is actually a great way. I give you an example again of this COVID-19 challenge. We have 113 participants coming from the best institutions in the world, the uh, startups, big corporates, uh, from Harvard to Carnegie Mellon, even Google sent uh, a, a team to this challenge. Um, so for, for people who want to reinvent the way to, you know, identify promising compounds that could become drugs, it's a, I mean, it's a total unique opportunity to go into ways that traditional organization can. So foundations are interested. We are launching something on deep fakes. We have a lot of foundations in Europe that are interested in making sure that uh, disinformation does not uh, rise more. Uh, they, they are, they are uh, the, of course, the potential uh, uh, partners for this. I talked about those about environment. Uh, we can talk about uh, those linked with IoT and, and, and mobility. We're going to launch one on space debris, which also has a lot of uh, connection with, with both communication and space observation, et cetera, et cetera. So each time we are looking for uh, partners that have a specific interest to first showcase that they are uh, engaged in the society. I think it's increasingly important for their brand equity. And secondly, that they're really doing, that they're really maybe also, um, the principle of challenges is that uh, you actually give out the prize only if you have a breakthrough. So for most of these uh, um, uh, organization, it's actually low risk because you know, if you really find a breakthrough on microplastics or on batteries, I think uh, many, many uh, organizations would be happy to, 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 to finance that and to have access to the, to the best teams on that. So we are confident, but we need obviously more partners to, 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 to join us. Now it's the time. Okay, so then at this point, how, how, how can a company approach or how have, or maybe from two sides. So what, how, how do you guys uh, approach companies, right? And um, well, let's say maybe at this point, how can companies then approach you? Look, I mean, first, I, I'll refer to our, to our social media. I mean, uh, you, can, you can follow us at, uh, at EuroJedi, that is our Twitter account. Jedi was already taken. Um, uh, and uh, we have a, a website where uh, both our current grand challenge is very precisely described with a scientific committee, the steps. Um, and, uh, and so this gives a good blueprint for others who want to do the same in, 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 in topics that are of core interest for them. Uh, it's the uh, Jedi.group. Uh, yeah, that's, the, that's the best way to, to get in touch uh, with us. Um, and last, we are organizing on, and that's, you know, we spend 90% of our time, and this is probably also the uniqueness that what people misunderstand about DARPA. DARPA has not succeeded everything. Far from it. Uh, they even have a, you know, a performance index saying that, <coughs> excuse me, that if they succeed more than 15%, one five of their, pro, uh, of their programs, that means they didn't take enough risks. 
Right. Interesting. You need to think about that twice before understanding. I don't know if it's a myth or reality, but that's an interesting uh, point. Uh, uh, but um, we spend 90% of our time, and that's a way also to be involved as a foundation or a corporation or a startup, in identifying the next big thing. And, um, and it's absolutely not trivial. It's absolutely not trivial. What I come back to this exponential versus linear thinking um, look at the space industry. We have probably the best talent. I, do people know that the chief scientist of SpaceX is actually a German? Uh, do you know that the, the, the person who won the DARPA uh, uh, autonomous car challenge in 2004 was Sebastian Thun, German? Do we know that the, that the guy who, run, who won the DARPA challenge on AI and voice recognition that became Siri, and I hope my Siri will not wake up when I say that, um, uh, was actually a French, Luc Julia. Uh, so, so DARPA was always good at identifying, at crafting the questions. So we at Jedi, we spend 90% of our time at what is the big problem? What is the precise metric for success? Because if you don't have a precise metric, you cannot stop, reorient, and all entrepreneurs know it's all about pivoting and, and then adapting if you don't have this flexibility. So that's completely contradictory with the traditional, you know, uh, public procurement rules where you need to over-specify uh, what, what is the end result. And, uh, and so this is the third way is get involved in our uh, challenges. And by the way, that's my last point is this is our big differentiation with DARPA and hopefully also an improvement to it is we say, it's by bringing the key, all the key players of a certain industry that, and we tell them, don't think about the next 24 months. These are your commercial interests. But what are the topics which could be game changers that you don't put money in because there is, it's too risky. You won't get the approval of your boards or there's no return on investment, but that could change the name of the game. And, and by that, we first, um, it's, it's, it's a little bit more market pulled. So we are not, uh, you know, uh, we don't uh, uh, shoot completely in the black. And we also ensure that once we have developed a prototype, which is always the deliverable of Jedi, it's a prototype, it's not a concept paper or a research paper, then you will have VCs, industrialists, companies that will then scale it. Because if nobody scales it, it makes no, no sense. So yeah. this is the, the improvement. And the second improvement is that we believe that instead of going with AI or cyber, et cetera, these are tools. You don't get the population motivated. So we just basically took the uh, four big societal missions and healthcare, environment, uh, what we call that human-centric digital transition. So uh, human uh, enhancement and not replacement with digital. And then we, so these are societal missions very close to the SDGs under huh? sustainable development goals of the UN. So we didn't invent anything here, but we said through that, and then we see what are the, the bricks we need to serve the mission. And we think with that, we can much more motivate a much larger group of the population and make them aware that that's important to put resources and efforts into that than to say, let's be excited about AI, which excites a certain elite, but which also worries for good reasons uh, uh, 
a large uh, scope of the population. So we also think at Jedi, we, this is the opportunity for the Europeans is, I'm oversimplifying, between the US where you have the impression the platforms don't necessarily or at least consider or integrate the societal aspects of what they create. I mean, remember the echo chambers with Facebook or, um, or the surveillance part uh, on, on other uh, topics. Between an Asian or a Chinese model where clearly you politicize increasingly values, we think there's a, there's a road for Europe, um, which is an unbeaten track. Uh, suffice to say, okay, how can we solve our large societal challenges through technology? Technology will not solve everything, but what can we solve through this? Yeah. Um, Andre, uh, it is very interesting. Um, and I would like to take the chance at this point to uh, have you on the show for a second time. Because the thing is, we're already in for one hour and 45 minutes right now. And if we're, uh, there's too many topics that I have right now on my head that I would like to talk with you about, uh, both from the startup, from uh, let's say the, the startup world that you are obviously also observing, uh, then the connection to the corporate world, what you, let's say, how you observe traditional corporates doing, especially in Europe. Uh, and also, let's say, on the technological ecosystems that we have in Europe. So therefore, I would like to, uh, to make the suggestion that we, uh, let's say, have um, a second episode somewhere in the future where we talk about these things. With pleasure, Jonathan. Yeah, all right. Then uh, at this point, Andre, I would uh, very much like to thank you for uh, being on the show. Thank you. Uh, it was a really pleasure, and I'm looking forward to uh, continue this discussion in the future episode. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, perfect. Wow, yes, 145. Way too long. <laughs>